Welcome back to Box to Box. Today we have a guest. Uh, he is the father of Danny, who was here earlier. Uh, it's Joseph. Welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, so you are a Bayern Munich fan. Yes. <laughs> well, how, first of all, how did you actually become one? Because in uh, in the seventies, when you, when I lived in Iran. The only really soccer leagues that you followed besides the national one were the Premier League mm-hmm. and and the Bundesliga. Nobody really followed the Spanish league back then. Mm-hmm. They weren't as good. And the Italian leagues back then had a restriction that they were not allowed to have foreign players. Oh. So and it took them all until I think late seventies, early eighties that they started to allow two per team. So, oh. so the leagues were like very defensive. All the games were like zero zero one zero one one. It's like you barely see two goals by one team. So everybody followed uh, mostly the Premier League, and back then the the teams that everybody followed was um, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal, and Nottingham Forest at the time. Uh, okay. They were actually a good team. Back yeah, then. yeah, yeah. Liverpool was okay, but, but not as good as Nottingham Forest mm. or, or Chelsea and Arsenal. And uh, everybody else that didn't follow them followed the Bundesliga. And back then, the only two good teams there were Bayern Munich and Munchen Gladbach. Mm. And there was no Dortmund back then. Like Yeah, they were never no, like... No, they weren't. Um, so speaking of actually Munchen Gladbach, they're doing really well this season. They're in third place. Uh, I don't... Uh, there's... Their manager's really good. I have to... I should have prepared this, but uh, their manager is, like, very sought out. Um, and he goes by the name of... Yeah, Marco Rose. Super young. Um, so you guys just sacked Kovac. Yeah. Is there anyone specifically you want to become manager? Mm, not really. Like, to me, the problem is that they have started to spend less money mm. over the last two seasons. So when they had Ribery and uh, all the other older generation that got old, and I was expecting them to replace them with like mm. new, younger, hot players. They're they're actually like repl- they're replacing them with like younger. You know that can- Canadian Alfonso Davies. He's yeah. playing really well. Um, but then there's like Serge Gnabry, uh, Coutinho. Yeah, but he's hurt all the time. Get really? Yeah, he's out now. Oh, um. I mean, they're they're using a lot of academy players. So, do you think they should like try and like go out and buy more players? I think they they should. But the problem, like when you read about them, they always say that financially they can't compete with the Spanish clubs. When they say Spanish clubs, they're only talking about Barcelona, Madrid, and um, what's the other the third team that's all, always in there? Uh, Manchester League. City. No, no, in. In Spain. Oh, Atletico Madrid. Yeah, so like those three teams are the ones that have the money. And and the five or six British teams that have the money, like Arsenal, Chelsea, Man U, Man City, and Liverpool now. So they always complain that because of those eight teams, mm-hmm. uh, the market now is no longer as equitable as it used to be, and they cannot afford to spend as much money as those other eight teams. So they cannot compete financially with them. And as a result, they have had to settle 
uh, with like more like a B level players, but not the real real stars. Mm-hmm. So lately, that's the rhetoric. So every time you look up Bayern Munich and like, how come they're not signing anybody really great, or how come they don't go after the other teams to try to outbid the other British or Spanish clubs? That's re- that's basically their excuse that they cannot because they because they're playing Germany mm-hmm. and. Germany is not as much money to be made and the market is a little bit smaller. So they cannot go head to head with those teams in terms of spending. Yeah, because I always see like they're they're always uh, spending within the league. Like they're never going out of like their league to try and buy players because you see like like Lewandowski, they got from Dortmund, Hummels, they, well, Hummels isn't there anymore. But like, uh, or like just from their cat, like they got Neuer uh, back then from, from Schalke. Uh, and they bought a bunch of other players from Bundesliga teams. They're just like trying to improve from them. So I guess I, I, I get what you're saying because like the only player I can think of right now that they got abroad is Coutinho and yeah. he's just on loan and they might not even like now, now, now they're talking about not wanting to have him. Yeah. On term because they say he's underperforming and he's not. Is he? Yeah, that's what they say. I del- all the latest articles talks about him like because he's not starting in every single game mm-hmm. and sometimes he's sobbed for midway through the game and then according to them he is paid too handsomely for what he's producing mm. so they're like definitely considering giving him back so let's look into table right now uh leipzig are doing really well this season. They're obviously in first, but they lost today. Bayern convincingly won 5 0. There's um, only one point out, man. Yeah, and one point. And they so have a game with Leipzig at home. Because so they lost be in t- the first half decided. of the season. Yeah. They they lost to Leipzig on the road, I think. Like two two one, I believe. And but now the second leg in the second half of the season is gonna be in Munich. And I think it's like um in some time in like late march mm-hmm. so it's not even towards the end of the season it's like somewhere uh, in the next four five or six weeks so if they win that game that that basically puts them in first place yeah um so this season has been a little strange obviously you guys like got rid of kovac but like at the same time Lewandowski's like you guys have five wins in a row so like I think you're doing well without him, and Lewandowski just still scoring. He's probably the best striker in the world. Uh, Davies doing really well, um, but in in your opinion, is there anyone that stands out to you in the league outside from Bayern? Because for me, like I don't watch that much Bundesliga, but I keep up with it. And like uh, Timo Werner for Leipzig is the top scorer in the league, and he's like keeping them there. And he apparently he might go to Liverpool next season, so. Do you think Bayern can win again? Because like yeah. it's like it, it's gonna be. The, I I don't want to sound like mean, but I don't want them to because they win yeah. it every year. Yeah. Now, last year actually, they started second half down six points to Dortmund. Right, 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 right. And then few few weeks later, they're down nine points. So mm. I was almost giving up hope that I was like this year is probably not going to be it. Mm. And then they went on a rampage and won a bunch of games and then Dortmund started losing even to to the last few teams of the league right even at home and then next there's thing still you plenty know, of time yeah like next thing you know down nine points like with 15 or so weeks left they ended up being up a couple of points with like 
five or six games to go. So that, yeah. that was the end. So this year, ret- retrospectively, they're only down four starting. Mm-hmm. And uh, as of today, they're only down one. One, yeah. So with, And you still have to play. Yeah, so with like 16 games to go, uh, 15 or 16 games to go, they only down one point and they have a home game against the front runners. So Do you they, still have to play Dortmund? Or did you play yeah, them? No, no, like they still have to play them for the second okay. half. But Dortmund is like, they're not as good as they were last year. Yeah, there is up and down season. Um, they still like kept their best players. Like Royce is still fit. Sancho is amazing, and they just bought Holland. Uh, you saw him; yeah. so he scored five goals in less in two games, both as a sub. Uh, and he's only nineteen years old. He, he he's insane. Uh, but like the rest of the table, I I beside honestly besides Leipzig, Munchen Gladbach, and Dortmund. I don't see many teams even like catching no. the third. Like it, it's it's, I feel like it's like this every year. Does it does it ever get essentially like a little boring to like yeah, see like it does yeah? This is a very top heavy league, right? So they every year there's like anywhere from two to four teams, and the rest basically have no chance. Mm-hmm. Even from the beginning, you can always sense that. But in some way, you can say that about the Spanish league too. Because it's Atletico, right. maybe Bilbao a little bit, but then Madrid and Barcelona, so it's like these four teams mm-hmm. have like 99% chance that the champion is going to be one of those three or four. And it's the same way. But in, in England also, like maybe, maybe it's a little bit less top heavy, maybe Honestly, there you can extend to six teams, seven teams. It's changing now but like, because like Liverpool just winning all the time. Man City uh, last year was have everyone. Two years ago, it was even more. So now it's like that. Even that's becoming like a two-horse race. Like uh, I saw a stat: like Man United have nine less points they have this season than last season at the same point, but they're in fifth now. But last season they were in sixth. Yeah. So now it's becoming a lot le- like more compressed and a lot more competitive, which I like. But at the same time, Liverpool is just going to win the league and it's going to be yeah because like, they haven't lost the game yet. Yeah, it's they only crazy. have one tie and every other game is a win. So they're like really annoying. like double digit points ahead of everybody else, and it, it's even worse than last year because last year at least it was like between them, them and, Man and Man City, and on Man City I think pulled it up by one point at the end. But, yeah, they just won, by but one. it was close. But at least they had a chance. But yeah. here is like nobody else has a chance. So it's like now Man City are just like yeah, they're like losing. It looks like for sure Liverpool is going to be first. For sure Man City is going to be second, and then the competition is like three to seven. It could change every week, right? So one team wins and then they're and they're third and the next week they lose and they're six and <laughs> so the the excitement is like who is going to be third fourth fifth or sixth yeah so uh and then we'll we'll talk a few more minutes about the Bundesliga and uh, the Champions League is coming up soon so you guys With are Chelsea. against Chelsea yeah. you're pretty confident about that right? yeah because I looked at like last night Chelsea's last four or five games and they had a loss two ties and maybe two wins so it's like mm-hmm. basically around 500 yeah uh, and uh, from what I've seen on highlights on YouTube I mean they're beatable yeah especially and, at home yeah and uh, the first game is at home for them against Bayern because mm-hmm. Bayern uh, was a higher seed okay uh, like one because they match one the yeah twos. Chelsea was runner up uh, and Bayern was the only team that won all six games oh, in okay. their first round. Yeah, they destroyed Tottenham. Yeah. 
But like they were the only six zero zero team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody else was at least four zero two, like two ties. Like nobody yeah. else had even like five wins. I think like they they won every every single game on the first stage. So I I'm I'm confident that they could beat them. And because usually when you're not usually like every time you're seed one, you always play on the road first, mm -hmm. and then the second game is at home. So right. it gives you an advantage that you know already what you have to do at home when you play the second leg so like, I've, I've watched chelsea a few times this season they don't really have like a star player like last season they got a uh, uh, hazard left obviously but i'm gonna try and watch and watch most of the champions league matches for the round of 16 is there anyone that i should look out for to watch from bayern besides like lewandowski or besides like the obvious ones i would say if gnabry could come back and it's not hurt I I like him a lot, but he's been labeled injury prone. Mm -hmm. So he's been out now. Yeah, he was at Arsenal when he was yeah. a youngster. And I still don't know why we got rid of him. And, I, and now they're, they're still talking about him because last year they were uh, talking to, I think, Man City about getting Sané. Right, then, right. And then those talks broke down because he tore his ACL. Yep. And he's basically out most of the season. But mm -hmm. they just revamped the talks again during the break. Yeah. Between the first two halves of the season, so there's rumors again that sooner or later, before the winter transfer window closes, they're gonna try to get him. I mean, there's still a week left, so it could happen. Yeah, so so I'm hoping that some kind of a new blood, or <laughs> and he's young, and he's he, young too, yeah. and he plays for German national team, so it would be a good addition to to go a little bit uh, younger because um, I would like them to do more of a youth movement also you actually brought something up um which actually like i'm interested in because i for me like i don't really like i only watch like the big games in the other league outside the premier league so like for Bayern, i watch the Bayern dortmund game and for like la liga i watch el Clasico or like the madrid derby and then for like italy i watch napoli juve i only watch like the big games but for premier league i watch that every weekend and it happens every weekend. But for Bundesliga, there's like a two, three week break, right? Mm -hmm. Does how does that like affect the league? Because like, it, or does it get like, or for like from a fan's perspective, does that get like boring in between? Because there's never it does. So like, what is that like? So it's like when when that happens because they stop playing a week before Christmas, mm -hmm. and they don't play anything in the last fifteen days of the year, and they don't play anything till like, I think mid January. So. So it's like almost a month, so four weeks of not playing. Mm -hmm. So during that time, you almost are starved in a way for action. And the only league that plays at that time fully is uh, the Premier League. Yeah. So during that time, I usually tune more into that league and watch because at least there's some soccer action. Yeah. But but like in Germany and in other countries, because uh, Italian league and yep. Spanish league, they all have breaks. Mm -hmm. The only league that doesn't have it, it seems to be the Premier League. Yeah. So during that time, that's what I do. I just watch, watch the British League, even though it's not my favorite. Yeah, but it's it's. I think the I think I I don't know if it's confirmed, but I think they're doing it next season where they're having like a one or two week break. But I think it's good because so many injuries are happening. Like Rashford's out for a very long time for Man United. Uh, Sane obviously, in, but that was like before the season. But like it's it's very congested. Like for Liverpool. Uh, they had a, a cup match on a Tuesday, and then the next day ha they had a game in Qatar. So they had two separate teams, yeah. and even Klopp wasn't even mm. at the first game. So like, I think it, 
for me, I think they should. Even though it seems boring for fans, I think it's better for like the players. I yeah, feel. yeah, because they have ch- chances to recover. Yeah, uh, for the body and stuff, and because uh, it's a long season, unlike the NFL, they only play like sixteen games. Mm-hmm. Uh, but over there, like in Germany, you play thirty-four games. Mm-hmm. So in yeah, there's less teams in a league like that. They can afford to have some weeks off, but in the Premier League, you play 38, so you play almost one month more soccer. Yeah, so you have to true. squeeze that in those four extra games. <laughs> so instead of having four weeks off uh, for Christmas holiday break, no, just you play. have to put the games there. <laughs> so then you could pretty much finish around the same time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I hope they I actually hope they do it because like even the fans need a break sometimes. Um, and and who knows, maybe they're like international games. Okay, so. I think that's enough for Bundesliga. I mean, I don't, I don't really get to talk about it that much, but so this was good. Um, but let's move on to uh, an experience we uh, we went through with uh, me, you, Danny, my dad, and a few other people, Reza even, and his brother and his dad. Uh, we all went to Russia for the World Cup, um, and we, I think we got there, I think it was two days before the first game. Um, and then uh, we were in... Moscow, no, St. Petersburg, yeah, right? First, we went to St. Petersburg yeah. for th- three days, and then we went to to a high speed train to Moscow. Moscow, and then we were there for a week, and then we came came back, back. and spent another three four days in St. Petersburg. Yeah, so like it was a it was about two weeks in total, and it was probably like probably the best trip we've both ever been mm. on. And for you, what was like what was uh unique about it? Because you saw so many different fans. And especially like the first, I think it was the first game, uh, which was Russia, Saudi Arabia. What was it like to be around like different uh, people and different co- countries and their culture? To me, it was interesting because um, especially a country like Russia, which is I mean, there's in Eastern Europe, it's culturally, in terms of openness, they're very similar to Western countries. Mm-hmm. And Saudi Arabia, on the other hand, is extremely religious, one of the most religious countries. So the contrast, I even have a photo um, that one of my friends sent me when I, he knew that I was getting there. He sent me a photo that uh, showed a typical blonde, beautiful Russian woman wearing like completely Western outfits, cheering. And at the same time, the w- next to her uh, was a... Saudi Arabian woman completely covered in her face, could only see her eyes yeah. and just showed the contrast of the cultures. But nonetheless, people got along. There was no fight. So what I noticed, interestingly, was like people were there more for the experience. Yeah. Not so much about winning and losing. And many of them didn't even expect their teams to right. do anything or go go anywhere. Like people that we met from Costa Rica, mm-hmm. from Peru, from from those type of countries that they know there's no no way they're gonna ever win a World Cup, especially at this time, maybe in the f- maybe twenty, thirty, forty years, you know, yeah. you know. But at this point, and but nonetheless, they were pretty much you couldn't tell the difference who had a high chance of winning as a nation and who didn't by the behavior of the fans. They were all like pretty tolerant and open minded and accepting, and they just want they were just proud that their nation was represented and was playing yeah as long as they made it to a tournament for them that was 90 percent of uh what mattered and if they won beyond that then it was just more like a gravy 
Yeah. And uh, was there anything that before we before we got there, before we landed, was there anything in mind that you were expecting? And then like when you got there, it was completely different. Yeah, I I would because I've never been to any Eastern European countries and and uh, many people like especially many of my friends or patients here that were Russian background, they were talking even though they were from there and I'd never been there, they talked about it in a way that almost had me think that oh it's n- it's not going to be as advanced or as as up to date with technology with infrastructure or with safety or security as you would expect western european countries to be or us to be but that was actually to me uh not the case and it was a lot better in terms of infrastructure and in terms of uh people's openness to foreigners and safety and security it felt just as good if not better than yeah. many of the western nations uh, yeah it was very sense. safe so to me that was the uh i mean i was less concerned about safety but i was more concerned that everything's going to be a little bit backwards and behind times but in many aspects they were just as ahead or even more ahead than even we are here like their subway system was hell it was lot better it, than the subway system. It's so much yeah. better, yeah. They were so clean that you could eat out of the platform <laughs> if you wanted. So it was that that span and that artwork and hand, just the yeah architecture, painted uh, like murals and ceilings, like like the Sistine Chapel in Rome, like that like everywhere. And 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 your internet worked everywhere. <laughs> and the subway was exactly on time. There was no rats. It was so clean. It's like and and when they even talked about doing a lot of security uh, against potential terrorism in every train station and subway station they had metal detectors but they were not invasive you didn't have to stop and be frisked or searched like you would be at an airport in a western country you could actually go through them and nobody would stop you even if you were carrying metal objects because it was calibrated to only ring or stop you if the density of the metal or the amount of metal was considered unusual mm. So we, as you remember, we just walked through them like yeah. we went through the metal detectors, but nobody ever stopped us or came to actually open our bags or search us, which to me was uh, like a breath of fresh air because yeah. I expected for sure to be frisked and stopped everywhere, but it was a lot better than I thought. So in terms of security, safety, and infrastructure, in many ways, it was even better than uh, what we have here. Even like the, because like in, in America, you don't find like, uh, like the stadiums and like the atmosphere, even like outside the stadium. Like we got to uh, the first game we went to was uh, the Iran Morocco game, and we got there what four hours yeah. earlier, yeah. and there were still like people. thousands of people yeah. there. You don't you don't see that here in the U.S. And honestly, maybe not even in uh, other European countries. I, but I think it was just because of like the occasion, uh, and it was like I think it was Morocco's. I want to say second World Cup and Iran's fourth. So it was a very big deal, obviously. Actually, no, Iran, I don't know. Um, But uh, we went to four games. We went to that one. uh, And we went to Brazil, Costa Rica, Poland, Senegal. And we also went to Portugal, Morocco. So we actually saw two Morocco games. Out of those four which one stuck to you the most in terms of in terms of the fan base was were there was there any one specific fan base that like 
wow, they're like so like passionate. Uh, I would say Brazilians were okay. the most passionate because it's like to them, soccer is even more important than a religion. Yeah. Even though they're a religious country, but still like soccer is right up there with, with their religion. And so they're like super passionate and you can't tell how well they're doing or or they're about to win the World Cup or is in the final is is in the final stages or the final itself or is the first round yeah. they're so passionate and everybody is like all decked out wearing the outfits and the flags Face and paints. everything and paints and yeah. all that kind of thing so it's like they go to the max and for them is really part of life mm-hmm. so that to me was interesting but also the camaraderie that i saw between moroccans versus iranians because yeah. uh, even though they're both considered muslim nations but they're completely different religions uh, and nonetheless they got along really well as you remember we talked to many of them we took photos yeah. to many of them and they were all friendly and happy to be there and uh, there was they're definitely the no nicest yeah. and they were super nice and friendly yeah um for me i remember i remember being with like uh, we were at the very top uh for the Brazil Costa Rica game and then when they scored in the 90th minute they just went crazy a lot, a lot of them were crying and it was really cool like I, I like I didn't know anyone like obviously and like when they scored I just like turned around and like hugged the guy yeah. and uh, like I was rooting for Brazil because like I, I really like their team I really like their players but I was never I'm not like oh I like I die for them but they do and it just like felt me like I felt like a part of their like you know team part, part of their culture which is really cool and there was also uh, the Senegalese fans were really cool. Yeah. You guys uh, played the drums and stuff. Yeah, like we, we went downstairs and they were playing drums and uh, we got some really good pictures and uh, videos with them. It was really cool. Um, and the, and you just like, you hear different languages too. So like um, you hear with all the, j- like just from the four games we went to, there's multiple languages. There's Portuguese, there's Spanish, there's French uh farsi there's uh arabic too. arabic yeah so that 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 for me is just like just a mixture is just great and um for y- now i i've always had this like not really argument but i had this like debate with uh like reza and danny um out of between moscow and st petersburg we were around we were there for basically like the same amount of time for you what which one did you not as I feel I, I love both of them, but was there one that like you preferred more than the other, or was there like were, were they both just unique in their own way? To me, they were both unique in their own way. Like to me, uh, Saint Petersburg resembled a lot city of Paris. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because uh, it used to be the seat of the Russian Empire, so all their culture and everything that goes back centuries and centuries all happened in Saint Petersburg, and it was the capital until the communists came into power in uh, 1917 and then uh, they basically built Moscow after Lenin came into power. So Moscow is only like more or less 100 years old. Mm -hmm. St. Petersburg goes back to uh, medieval times. So in a way that cities model architecturally after Paris. It's a little less like modern. Yeah. And it's like a lot of museums, a lot of uh, great things to see. But Moscow... uh, the population is almost double. Mm-hmm. It was bigger. And it reminds you more of New York. So if you're a kind of person who likes that kind of a buzz and atmosphere and energy and more of a nightlife and more of a 
social life than Moscow is better, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have as much history and culture behind it. So for people who prefer New York City lifestyle, they probably uh, gravitate towards Moscow. But for people who like culture or like cities like Rome and Paris and so on, then they would pick St. Petersburg. Yeah. But if I had to live in one, I'd probably take Moscow because I live in New York, so it's like yeah. closer transition. Plus, it's, a sub, it's like a few hours south, so their winters are less harsh, both in terms of temperature and amount of snow. Plus, in winter in St. Petersburg, it's almost 19 to 20 hours of darkness. Mm. So it's just the opposite of when, when right. we were there. I was actually like going to bring that to up. 20 hours of light, it, it changes to completely the other way. So it's like, yeah. so it's only light from about 10, 10.30 to about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And the rest of it is always dark. So just reverse of what yeah. we experience. But in, in Moscow, yeah, it's kind of like that, but not as bad. So right. like you have two to three more hours of light, light even in yeah. winter time. So because of those reasons and because it's less cold, if I had to pick one, I would take Moscow. Yeah, I I agree with you because Moscow, like I, I'm I'm very used to New York City living here, so I've lived here my entire life. So if I were to pick one to live in, yeah, Moscow. But to visit, for me, St. Petersburg just had a different vibe. And for me personally, in terms of as a tourist, I liked St. Petersburg more, but I still loved Moscow. But actually, I was gonna bring that up. So I've never experienced White Nights, yeah. and honestly, I don't. I don't remember when it was dark. Like, it, like it, it was like hardly ever dark because I I remember most nights we we were all up till like at least one thirty to two. Was it was it hard for you to like sleep? Because for me, like when when because there was like a certain like like there was like two hours. I think it was like from twelve a.m. or or like eleven p.m. to like one a.m. and then two a.m. it started to go light again. So for me, like if I didn't sleep before then, it would be a little difficult for me. Was that the yeah, same it, for you? It was like that. That's why after a night or so, uh, I I decided to just like shut down the curtains and, right. and not look at outside because it's it's strange because you're still up and talking and doing things or you're on the internet and you look around and it's like one o'clock in the morning is still light. Yeah, and then if you even are up or sleep and like wake up and it's like three thirty and it's still light again. Yeah, so. Uh, and since I don't sleep all the way through the night and I wake up a few times, the first few nights that I didn't have the curtains closed, I wake up and look out and it was bright light and you would think it would be like 10 a.m. Yeah. And you look and it's like 4. <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, I better find a way to fall asleep because you have to get up in the morning and do something. And So it was hard, but then the only way you could actually get used to it is to shut down the curtains and not see the light on the outside. Yeah. So, outs- like... My experience outside of the games is a little fuzzy. Was there anything that you personally enjoyed outside of going to the games in the stadiums? I I actually um, liked, because many days that there was no game, we went walking around mm-hmm. and shopped and looked and did some sightseeing, and then you guys continuously interviewed the fans. Right. So that was, to me, uh, quite fun because when you go to the stadium, almost every person you encounter is a fan of either one of the two teams. Mm-hmm. And all the audience members, on I can't say all, but at least the majority are from those two nations. 
or when you're in the streets on the days when there's no game, it could be or, anywhere. or the games are broadcast on the fan zones when, on giant TVs. There'd be fans from every country, even yeah. the countries that are not even in the games, or they will not be playing that day, but the fans would still dress up and go to the fan zone and interact and meet other fans. So to me, that was even, in some ways, you can say it was even more fun because you meet people from a bunch of other countries as opposed to just two countries when you uh, are at the stadium. Yeah. And it it was it was so unique because like like you said we uh like we did a side thing when we were interviewing we were interviewing different kinds of people and we were just like uh, just like shocked of like where they would travel from and for us i think we were one of the like because us were weren't in the world cup so we were one of the few people that actually traveled from the us to watch was there anything for you that that made it pop up to see like wow there's just like so many was there any was it uh in moscow or st petersburg that you saw it or like was it was it in both both Uh, i'll say both and and the most interesting fans somewhat could be fans of iceland i remember yeah 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 they were like super friendly but they were all giants too yeah everyone was at least six two six three or higher in height and but they were all super friendly like mm-hmm. friendly giants and it was for them for the f- like very first time it was the, the first time they yeah. made it to the world cup so for them it was an experience because it's one of the least populated countries in the world i think the population is under a million for the whole around country. there yeah and so so for them it was quite quite interesting and then you i'd never seen that many people from iceland or i yeah. barely ever seen maybe one or two people i've ever met in my whole life from iceland but over there we met a whole bunch of them in in like a couple of days. Yeah. So, um, oh, what was it? Oh, yeah. So we visited, obviously, four stadiums because we went to four games. Uh, was there a certain stadium, not just by like its arena and it's like how of its size, but was there one that like stood out to you like how like architecturally like beautiful it was? Because for me, I think it was the one... I think it was the Poland-Senegal game. In, I think it was in St. Petersburg. That one for me, I think that was the... No, no, no. It was the it was the Iran-Morocco game, which is where Zenit plays. Yeah. For me, that was... Yeah, to me, that, that also in St. Petersburg was the the nicest stadium. The, the, one, the ones in Russia, especially one of them, I think it was Spartak Stadium. Yeah, 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 Spartak. That, that one was a little bit older, so it, it didn't have as much technological advancement and the pitch wasn't as viewer friendly as the one in St. Petersburg. Yeah. It it looked like in, like a, as a newer venue and you could really see everything so well. Yeah, I mean like that's that was the best trip I ever went to. I mean, w- before we go, is there anything that you would like if if someone were to go to like, so like uh, upcoming is the Euros. And this is like obviously very different to like the Euros to before. Like last last Euros, it was uh, in France, and the one uh, the one in like I think it was '08, who was in um, Poland. So like for this one, where almost every game is in a different city in a different country, what would you tell? What would you adv- uh, give advice to someone that would like try and like travel and uh, to all those places? I would say it's a great way to see the world too because it's the 60th year anniversary of the euros that's why they're doing it in 12 different nations 
Oh, I never yeah. realized that. Yeah, that's the reason. So like they, so some of the venues like I've been to like Rome or mm-hmm. London, a place I've seen it several times, but places like Baku in Azerbaijan yeah. or Budapest in Hungary or Bucharest in Romania. Yeah. And actually, funny enough, St. Petersburg is one of the mm-hmm. host cities too, but we have actually seen that. But the other three, the Eastern Europe for me remain very interesting because those three countries and cities I've never seen. Mm-hmm. So to me, it kind of like uh, you not only get to do some nice, interesting tourism, but you also get to see some games and you will go to countries that you probably wouldn't go otherwise if it wasn't for soccer and you're a soccer fan. So I encourage people to try to explore the countries I've never seen. And uh, if I had to, if you have time to go to all 12, <laughs> obviously it's great, but that's going to take you several weeks. But if you had to pick and choose, I would probably choose the countries that I've never seen, which in my case would be all the Eastern European countries. Yeah, I agree. Because for me, I, I, I've uh, seen Wembley. I, I've never been to a game in Wembley, but that's where they're going to be playing in London. Um, obviously, uh, we went to St. Petersburg. And then there's like, you know, like the main countries, I think. Yeah, they have Amsterdam. Right, right. They have uh, Rome. They have Bilbao in Spain. Mm -hmm. I think they have Glasgow in Scotland, Dublin in Ireland. Yeah, so like. Copenhagen in Denmark. Right. Copenhagen I've seen. Yeah, so like. Spain I've been to. Exactly. So like, I think what's great is it gives gives, uh, an opportunity for people that would never think to go to like those certain places. Like you said, like Baku or Bucharest this would be the perfect opportunity yeah. because not only will you, will you watch soccer and you will watch like different countries and have a different experience, but it'll give you, um, it'll give you, uh, a certain like time to go and spe- experience other stuff in that city because we never, before, uh, the world cup, we had never even thought about going to Russia because of like all the stuff that's going on there. And, you know, like all the, all the news that's going on there, but, Again, like, don't always believe what you see because when we were there, it was just completely clean and everyone was so nice and it was just culturally mixed. So and it was even cheaper than here. Like you could so much cheaper. Know, like uh, Airbnbs, like the yeah. best Airbnbs would be like fifty, sixty dollars a person per night. Yeah, and never get something like that in New York or LA or Chicago. And the restaurants, that's great food, but maybe like less than half of what you pay in a restaurant in New York or or in Paris or London. So it was cheaper because their money's value has dropped a lot against the dollar. Mm-hmm. So for us, spending dollars, it was actually a nice trip, but all also very within your budget. So it, yeah, so you didn't have to kill yourself to pay for things. So so it wasn't bad. And and this euros prob- is going to be probably the only venue you're ever going to have where it's going to be a multitude of countries right. hosting it. And again, in four years' time, you'll be back to the regular format of one country yeah. hosting it. In different cities at the same time, similar. I think it's uh, I think it's oh, who's hosting it in twenty twenty four. Well, I know, I know, like I know the twenty twenty four Summer Olympics, which is the next one. I think I know this one. This year it's Tokyo, but the next one I think it's, it's Paris. It's Paris, yeah. yeah. 2020. So twenty twenty four Euros, Germany. In Germany, that would be cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, we can go see Bundesliga. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But in, to me, it's actually the most interesting thing of happening in the next few years would be the World Cup in Qatar. Yeah. Because that's going to be mid-November yeah. to mid-December. So not only that's interesting, but to me, I'm like actually more interested to find out what kind of impact that's going to have on all those professional leagues. Yeah. Because now everybody's forced into, because you're talking about 
five weeks of tournaments and obviously you can't play till two days before the actual world cup start or like immediately start two days later so you're talking about four or five weeks of games preceded by a couple of weeks of preparation so it's going and to be a week really or two of prep- so it's going to be you're talking about at least eight nine weeks of so over two months that yeah. all those leagues with all the money involved especially the premier they have leagues, to, like, they have to stop so yeah. so they so i I don't know how they're going to adjust. Are they going to start in July that year instead of traditionally late August when they start the leagues? Or are they going to extend it and instead of ending in late April, early May, are they going to go because of that thing? They're going to go all the way to mid-June to compensate for the eight, nine weeks that they're going to lose because of the World Cup. And I'm sure all the owners of those teams and those leagues are worried that if players get injured, because when you normally get injured in the World Cup, it happens in the summer, and the league's still a couple of months away. And the window's so, open. Yeah, so you have time to recover from, like, mm. especially minor injuries. So if you get injured in, in the Euros or in the World Cup, like in mid-June or early July, you probably don't play meaningful games for another two months. Yeah. But if you are playing right before the World Cup in November and right after, and you get hurt during the World Cup, uh, it's definitely going to change the equation of who's going to win those leagues. Yeah. Because if key players from key countries get hurt, then it's going to really hurt the chance of those teams competing in their, in their own individual leagues. So I think I'm, for sh- I'm sure that people are going to be worried about that, the coaches of those teams. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're going to tell the players not to go way out of the way to like uh, give it 110%. Yeah. So that's going to probably negatively impact the game. I don't know, but I'm, it's not going to be... Uh, it's money-based. Yeah. And it's... It, I mean, they had like, it's it sucks that it's in Qatar because I mean they they had to move it to the winter or uh, late fall because of it's literally unplayable in the summer. It's like hundred thirty degrees yeah. in uh, Fahrenheit. Um, so it's like, and uh, there are ma- many workers that are getting sick from like the heat that when they're building the the different stadiums that they need. Um, but it's gonna be it's gonna be different for sure. And same with uh, like the next the next two uh, the the Euros this year the twenty twenty two World Cup and the twenty twenty six World Cup those are going to be three thing the three events that are going to be moving on to a new era because uh, that's going to be in the winter and the twenty twenty two the Euros this year is going to be in different places and twenty twenty six is going to be the first time with more teams it's going to be with forty eight teams yeah, yeah. which. I don't I don't know why they're doing it uh, personally. I guess it's to bring to like uh, smaller countries to play. But I think that's I think it's too much. So I I re- really think that it's not biased because we went there, but honestly the the World Cup that we went to in 2018 is going to be like the mo- most pure one we're going to have for a very long yeah. time. Cuz I think part of the reason maybe they did that to increase the number of teams from 32 to 48. It's probably, that's my guess, would be that because it was the first time in 60 years that Italy didn't make it. Yeah. And it was first time either in 32 or 36 years uh, that Holland. US didn't make it. Oh, and the US. And Holland didn't make and it. And Holland didn't make it. So, and they all three missed it. Like, Italy lost to Sweden in the back-to-back uh, playoff yeah. formats. Uh, Sweden made it because I think they lost 2-1 or one nothing away and then when they were back in Rome, they only draw, mm-hmm. so they couldn't make it. And uh, Holland 
I think finished third in their in, in its group and couldn't yeah. make it. But now Holland is yeah, and then really US good. all it needed was a tie against Grenada, and they couldn't even no, manage it was a Trin- that. Trinidad and Tobago. Oh yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah, I guess. And then they lost three two. <laughs> yeah, wait, did they? Yeah, I think they. they lo- I think yeah, they, they lost three dr- two. Or did and they? Yeah, draw? that was like and 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 Trinidad and Tobago was the last team in the in the group and had nothing to play for and all US needed. Yeah, they lo- they lost two one. Yeah. 2-1? Yeah. Yeah, so like all, all they needed was a tie Yeah. against the worst team in the division and, and they couldn't even do it. So. And all Mexico had to do was draw for them too. Be- yeah. It was like... It, like a it was perfect only, storm. It was yeah. Like that, and then... But then US still controlled its own fate. All they needed was a tie against the worst team in, in the group and they still <laughs> lost 3-2 in a stadium that didn't even have grass. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I mean, we can get into a whole another segment about the u.s but like i don't know what's going on with them they have so many young talents but yeah. they're not just using it correctly so i think because of those things because three teams like that that draw a lot of attention and advertisers mm-hmm. and and money because u.s in spite of the fact that they didn't make it based on what i read during our trip to russia was the country with the second most number of fans in russia Oh, really? After Mexico, which is like funny enough, like I didn't even know Mexico was number one, but Mexico had the biggest number of fans in Russia during the World Cup, followed by the US. Yeah. And Mexico at least made it, obviously, but yeah, the US didn't even make it. And that they, yeah. they had more fans uh, from US than they did from like Brazil or right. Germany or France. So that was interesting. So that, that shows that Americans like to travel and like to yeah. support the teams, and they still went and made the best of I, like we did. And I can understand because uh, I was, um, uh, my mom and I were in Paris uh, in the summer. That was when the Women's World Cup was in France. And w- whenever, like, because I've been to Paris a few times and whenever we go there, there are barely any Americans there. But when we were there, a lot of them, like, I, I could I could point them out. They were wearing, like, Alex Morgan yeah. jerseys yeah. and they were wearing their, uh, you know, like, who else is on the team? Uh, Carly Lloyd and the, uh, Megan Rapino, like those people. I so think for the Women's World Cup, US had the number one number of fans. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for 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 men, number two, which is like still shows you that US should have uh, a lot better future in soccer. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, here is like the money is not is the fifth exactly. fifth most important sport after. Uh, like football, basketball. basketball, baseball, and hockey. Yeah, so it's like a distant number five, and there's not enough money in it, and and so on and so forth. So it just remains always like a B level sport, but which the, is sad. Yeah, but the infrastructure is there, and there's enough uh, supporting it, especially in the suburban US and big cities. So I think if they commit more to it and and make uh, more of an urgency to really restore the US national pride, because in the thirties, like. The first couple of World Cups, US was actually a, a force. Like yeah, they were. They actually made it to the final round and so on. And that, that was in the 30s when Uruguay used to be that. Team. Yeah. And then it kind of like died out throughout the war years. Then of it the became like Sweden, Brazil. Yeah. And then in the 80s, US again restored its soccer glory days and started to qualify again for the World Cup. And then they just missed out this one. So hopefully uh, with this new format, it'll be almost impossible <laughs> for Italy and... U.S. and Holland to miss it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was 
probably the it was a very interesting uh, conversation because we usually like whenever Reza's here, we usually just talk about the Premier League and what happened over the weekend. But it is a different segment, and we're trying to do different things. Uh, but thank you for coming. Sure, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. And this is gonna be one of the many uh, episodes we're gonna have in 2020. We're planning different things, different segments like this one. We have our own experience. Uh, we've had different guests come on and hopefully we'll have more like that in the coming days. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, thank you again for coming and, uh, we'll see you in next episode. Bye. Thanks so much. Bye.